Welcome to the Tidal Year, a series about the joy of swimming. With the help of some special guests, we'll discover the human stories behind why we swim. Together, we'll share tales from the places that helped us fall in love with swimming. From Lidos to lakes, by leisure centers in the ocean, I can't wait to dive into these magical places. I'm your host, writer and wild swimmer, Freya Bromley, and every week I'll be chatting to a new explorer, swimmer, author, or campaigner about what water means to them. Before we dive into this episode, I'd like to thank today's sponsor, TryHard. I love being in the water, but I don't love what pool chemicals like chlorine do for my skin and hair. TryHard develop water sports specialized skin and hair solutions that eliminate those negative effects of pool chemicals and ocean salts. I'm thrilled to share with all listeners of the Tidal year a very exclusive 15% off when you use code TIDAL at tryhard.co. Today's podcast is something a little different, and hopefully you'll find it as fascinating as I did. A few of my chats in series one have touched on the importance of reclaiming spaces to swim in, and this is really a great example of that. In this episode, I chat to Anna Baker, project manager for Cleveland Pools, Britain's oldest Lido, dating back over 200 years. It's set to open once again, and restoration to make the facility fit for the future has already started. They're working to create a unique, open-air public swimming pool in Bath, with the energy for heating the water coming from heat pumps in the adjacent river. Very smart. Now in this episode, we spoke about Anna's work, the history of the Lido, and the power of community action to make a heritage project like this happen. Enjoy! Hi. Hey, good morning, Anna. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thank you. This is a fun start to the day, getting to chat about pools. How's everything been going this week? Is the project moving on? Have you been on site? I'm actually going to site today, this afternoon. I've not been for a week or so. Um, I usually try and get across once a week, so it'll be nice to see where we've got to. We've had quite a lot of work going on to underpin the basement plant room, which is a piece of a really complex piece of work, um, trying to get concrete onto site and get out of the ground while the weather's dry-ish, although it hasn't been that dry recently, so it's been quite tricky. Of course, so much of your job must be so weather-dependent. I hadn't even thought about that. Before we get into all those fascinating details about buildings and basements and water pumps, because I've got loads of questions, it would be great if you could start us off by telling me a little bit about Cleveland Pools, which of course is the UK's oldest public outdoor swimming pool. Absolutely. Yeah, um, it's quite a special place, really. So as you said, oldest outdoor public swimming pool in the UK. Um, So it was built in 1815, between 1815 and 1817. It's in Bath, you know, city of water in the UK. It's a grade two star listed site and it was at risk of being lost forever, basically. So my my job is to deliver the restoration project for the pools and bring it back to life um, and reopen it again for public use, hopefully next summer. Next summer, that's so soon. That's exciting. And so it's really got a lot of history and also in a beautiful city like Bath and the design 
is, well, maybe we can talk a little bit about the design, really mimics that almost like a little mini Bath Crescent, which lots of people will recognize from the city. So is it a very traditional Georgian building? Yeah, relatively. I would say it's at the kind of simpler end of this of the scale. As you say, it's classic Bath. You know, it's the smallest crescent in Bath. Um, it's kind of the, the forgotten crescent, I think, for a lot of people. It's quite a modest building, I suppose. It's the shape of it that is what's special. The building itself is quite simple. Um, it's just fairly functional. Um, it's made out of bar stone, so it kind of it fits with the architecture of the city. And the building itself, the reason that it is that shape is because it mimics the the inlet of the river. So that was why that was, you know, how the site worked originally, is that it wasn't a pool, a standalone pool as it is today. It was just a diversion of the river. So the building mimics that that shape itself. Oh, that's so interesting. And so is that how traditionally pools used to work, is that they were led in by river water? I don't know, is the honest answer for pools in general. Uh, it certainly was with this one. So it's kind of gone through various iterations over the years. And originally, it was just a diversion. And then they put on some sluice gates to try and slow down the river speed to make it a bit safer. And then, you know, over time, it's been it's been kind of not filled in, but you know, isolated so that it's its own thing. And now we're taking it one step further by, you know, relining that pool, heating the water, et cetera, et cetera. So it's kind of, it's, I suppose, developing over time to suit the needs of, of you know, the population that are using it in, in the period that we're in. And the river's been a big part of that building process and also of the sustainability of it. Maybe you can tell me about that. Yeah, the river the river is really important actually to the project in lots of ways. Yeah, so it, it fed the pools originally, so it's kind of at the heart of what the site's about. And it's the way that we are making the project work in terms of the restoration itself. So when the pools were built, uh, things were a bit easier. I'm not sure if that's true, but um, different certainly. So the pools, when they were built, they, they were the first thing in that part of Bath, re- re- kind of reasonably. Since then, a row of houses have been built behind them. So there's actually no road access at all to the Cleveland pools, which when you're trying to do you know, a multi-million pound restoration, it's quite tricky. So to get materials in, we only have two options. Either we bring everything down a one meter wide footpath that's really steep. And that's not a great option. And it also takes you through a residential area. So we'd have lots of traffic coming through, disturbing neighbors, etc., which is not great. Or we use the river. So we're using the river, <laughs> but that itself has presented lots of challenges because the river itself is really popular, you know, for local residents. So we have a barge going up and down delivering materials to site, but there are plenty of swimmers. You know, there's a huge wild swimming community in Bath. So a lot of people are out there swimming and a lot of people are renting, you know, kayaks, paddle boards, etc., including me sometimes. So, you know, there's quite a lot for that boat to deal with. And it means that we also have to set up a kind of a feeder site further down the river. So it's the only way to make the project work, but it's certainly not straightforward. And what's the community response like there when you've got people going past on their kayaks and their paddle boards? There must be a lot of local excitement about the project. So are people waving or are they being frustrated that the river's being used for building? Because, I mean, the project's been going on for a while, but we're in the final stretch now, right? Yeah, it's, it's funny because the community, I think, have been through waves with this project you know as you say it's been going on for a long time so the campaign to save the pool started in 2003 it takes quite a lot to believe that something's going to happen over that length of time so i think the public have 
heard about it a lot. And there have been kind of, you know, like I say, waves of positivity where we've got a piece of funding or there's been a bit of movement, you know, and then things take longer than you expect, et cetera, et cetera. So I think now that we're actually on site and people can see that we're building, it's really changed the dynamic within Bath. People really believe that it is actually happening. And yeah, you, you know, people are waving all the time. It's really nice because there are, um, there are river cruisers that go up and down that section of the river as well. And it's, it's funny, we have a few volunteers who've actually seen the pools from being on a river cruise tour. You know, they've got guests staying and they've done something nice the weekend and then have got involved in the project. So yeah, there's kind of loads of engagement and there's a public footpath on the other side of the river that you can see the pools from. So we, we always kind of notice people, I've met a few people who've said that they've come down particularly to that spot to just have a look and see how we're getting on, which is really, really nice. So yeah, it's definitely changed. I think people are excited now. Yeah, 2022 is soon. And I think for the community, being able to see that something that felt like a very long-term plan is going to have a real benefit on them and the people around them and their neighbours must be rewarding for both them and you as well. Yeah, and I think it's also, it's a nice, it kind of demonstrates the power of, you know, community, you know, what's the right word, ambition, but also kind of resilience you know it hasn't been an easy ride far from it it's really hard to get a project like this off the ground and it's such a credit to everybody who's been involved you know it's an entirely volunteer-led project you know people like me I only come in at the end you know I'm a tiny tiny part of of this whole project and we've had hundreds of volunteers involved and you know thousands of supporters not just in Bath but across the country I was emailing somebody in Australia quite recently who's a descendant of one of the characters that we know about who used to, who was an original subscriber, who built the pools. So, you know, the involvement is huge and the stories, you know, there's so many stories. But yeah, it's a real testament to kind of people's vision and and resilience because, as I say, um, it takes an awful lot to get to this stage. That's so interesting. I'm really interested in human stories around swimming because I think often swimming can be such a big part of your childhood and really has an ability to take you back to those times. And some of the happiest memories that people have is about swimming. So to be in touch with someone from Australia that must remember the pools, you must meet lots of people that remember the pools because it was only in the 80s that they closed. You have a lot of people coming to visit and telling you about their memories of being a child swimming at Cleveland Pools. Yeah, honestly, it is nonstop. (laughs) It's really, really nice. So I mean, the last time the pools were in use as a swimming pool was 1984. So that's, you know, that's quite recent, really. So yeah, anytime we do an event or somebody, you know, realizes that you work for Cleveland Pools, you suddenly hear all these stories come out of the woodwork. And it's been a really nice part of developing the project that we've been working really hard on is to try and make sure we share those stories because it, it just helps people connect, I think, with the space as well. You know, it, this is not just another swimming pool, not at all. You know, there's so much history in this place and so many lives have been lived, you know, with this as part of, of someone's life and story, that it's really nice to share that. So yeah, we have a whole a whole team of volunteers working on interpretation for the site to try and make sure that when we are open and when people visit who might not realise that how you know how special a site it is, that they go away and they kind of realise that actually this was a bit more than just a swimming pool. It's quite a special place, really. But yeah, those kind of stories come out of the woodwork all the time. I was just yesterday I was watching three short films that my colleague Sam has been working on with a couple of community groups. So one of the projects that she is doing is to try and use what we can offer as the pools as something to connect 
groups who wouldn't otherwise meet, basically. Um, so she set up a project which is about working with a local care home and a local youth group. And together, the care home residents have shared stories that, of their memories of the pool, because quite a few people who are local have, you know, these strong memories. The young people have interviewed, so they've learned interview skills, interviewed the residents of the care home, and then they've been trained up by a local filmmaking company to make short films at the end of it. And they've gone out into Bath and filmed the films themselves with this company, learned, you know, a bit about production. We actually have an event coming up at the end of August, which will be the kind of the showcase of those films. And it's just, it's a perfect example of how you can kind of engage or people are engaged anyway with this project from all kind of, you know, such a cross section of, of local people. There's something in it for everyone. And that's, I think, the thing that we're trying to make sure people understand is that this is not just one thing from one angle. It can be, you know, it can be all sorts. But yeah, a lot of people, when they hear about the restoration project, they think about the construction. And obviously, that's interesting. You know, of course it is. And that's my job. And that's the bit that I love. But I also, it's been a really added kind of bonus for me to work on something that has such a strong community backing. And it just, yeah, it, it lifts everything. You know, you have hard days on site when things aren't going right or, you know, yeah, it's always going to be tricky doing something like this. But when you realize how much support there is and how much kind of positivity there is around it, it's brilliant. So, yeah, it, it's just a great thing to be part of, really. Those videos sound amazing. What a, what a fantastic way to bring the past and present together in a way that's benefiting, like you say, so much of the community. Yeah. And tell me a little bit about the people that started this. You mentioned that you've only kind of got involved at the last stage. When the pool was disused, and I read that it was a trout farm at some point, which is quite interesting. Yep, it was. <laughs> uh, and then it was potentially going to be sold, and who knows what would have happened to it then. What was the community action like? How was that stopped? So I think at that point, basically what happened is that the local authority, Bath and North East Somerset Council, they owned the site and they put it up for sale. So it had been sat derelict for a number of years, I think 15 or so years. I think they held an open day, and our founding trustee, Anne Dunlop, she went to the open day to have a look, um, and she came away just saying, this is, you know, crackers. This can't, you know, this can't happen. This can't be sold privately, because, like you say, who knows what will happen to it. And it's such a valuable piece of bass history that, you know, needs to be shared and celebrated. So she and a couple of friends kind of decided that something needs to be done here. Um, and so they formed the Cleveland Pools Trust and it really became a, a campaign to ensure that one, the site wouldn't be sold. And then they worked really hard with Historic England to have the listing upgraded because again, that gives the site some kind of safety net. So it went from a grade, uh, grade two site at that point to grade two star, which just kind of recognises how significant it is. And I think that was really, that really started the ball rolling for more support coming in to say, no, this is something special. We do need to do something about this. And then kind of rallied a whole other group of people. And over the years, that's evolved, you know, as these things do. And a design for, and you know, a functioning facility has kind of come out with lots of support from various organizations um, and got us to where we are today. But yeah, it's been a real labor of love, thankfully. And Roger and other founding trustee are still involved, which is amazing. So it was a really, really big day when we put the boat in the water to start deliveries. That, you know, it was quite momentous to see that all their hard work over, you know, 16, 17, 18 years had kind of come to something. It was great. 
18 years. Yeah. And how emotional that must have been as well to be one person who sees a building and says, we can't let this happen. And even though I'm one person, I'm going to stand up and not let this happen. I think we often walk past buildings and so that it's quite a sad feeling when you walk past a building and feel that it's not had the love or the care or the restoration that it has. So to be able to have that kind of community action and make a change together is just fantastic. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, Anne's incredible. Yeah. So it's 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 really nice for me, you know, to be able to deliver the thing that people have been working so hard to to get to. Um, yeah, it's great. It's like it's, honestly it's it's a real privilege to work on something like this. But also a lot of pressure. You've been working on this for a long time. There's still funding to be had. And, you know, there's people have very special memories, very precious memories and a lot of expectation about what's going to happen to their community. Tell me about how you got involved in the project, because I think that was a pretty big move for you as well. Yeah, yeah, it was. So I'm an architect, chartered architect, but I've been working as a construction kind of project manager for, I don't know, a number of years now. And I really enjoy that role of being kind of in in the middle to make sure that I can bring everybody that we need to, that needs to be involved together and that everything is kind of working and all the pieces of the puzzle, you know, fit. And I was... Uh, that, that you know, a couple of years ago, um, living in London, I had decided to take a career break, and then I wanted to come back to a project that ideally was heritage, because my previous jobs, the heritage roles that I'd done before, were the bits that I found most interesting. I, you know, for my sins, really enjoy working on complicated projects. This I maybe didn't realize quite how complicated this would be, but um, yeah, existing buildings for me are more interesting than new builds because there are lots of challenges and you've got to really think on your feet about dealing with stuff that just crops up, you know, and you can't be in control of everything. So I was looking for something that was ideally a heritage project, ideally out of London, and this came up, you know, and just I went for it, you know, and I was really not sure because I've worked in some heritage roles before, but I'm by no means a heritage expert. But I think that they, you know, the, the trust could see that I was really committed to this this type of role, and I could see the potential of the pools. And you know, being the project director, and that's my role. It's a funny one because I have overall responsibility for delivering the whole project. You know, and that's quite a quite a big thing. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, that's working on behalf of the trust to make sure that what they have worked so hard to get support for actually comes to fruition. But I think that they recognize that while for some other projects, um, having somebody less technical and more kind of high level might be more appropriate because there are other things going on. You know, it's not just a construction project, as we talked about. I think they could see that for this one, it is technical, you know, and there is a lot to deal with. And as much as I have a, you know, there's a whole team of, constru- you know, construction professionals working on this as well. I think it helps to have someone who gets the detail actually as a team member, you know, on the, on the client team. So I think, I think that's, you know, why I got the job and that's what I love, you know, um, there are so many technical challenges here. It's thrown up, you know, couldn't have imagined how many things it's thrown up when I started, but. It's so interesting. <laughs> so just, you know, learning a huge amount. And it's just satisfying to be able to kind of problem solve as well. That's what I like really. That must be fascinating, the amount of problem solving and also the variety of challenges and problems that you must have to solve. What are some of the things that have surprised you most about this project? What are some of the problems you did not expect to be having to solve? I think I hadn't 
appreciated quite how much ecology would be a big part of the project. I mean, when you think about it, it's obvious <laughs> we're next to a river. But I think the river is one thing, but it's also about how long the site had been disused for. So we have we've had volunteer teams in kind of consistently over the last I don't know five seven years, kind of trying to maintain the site so that we could put on visits, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know it's been pretty wild. So there are a level level of you know wildlife etc. who've got used to using the site. So to make sure that is properly managed, not only in the pool itself, you know we have to we have to rescue frogs, rescue newts, all the rest of it, you know, but on the riverbank and making sure that what we're doing is done you know it's disruptive construction is disruptive and there's no getting around that so you have to really manage it properly so that it's you know the least impactful that it can be and that's that's been a big part of getting the site ready to start the construction work itself and so that's been a you know bit of a challenge i think the other one is the pool heating so just finding a good solution to heat the pools that again well, the solution we've ended up with uses the river, which I find just very satisfying. <laughs> so we're we're installing a water source heat pump, and um, which will take the energy from the river and convert that into heat to heat the pool itself. Which, yeah, I, I just think it's an elegant solution. You know, um, it's sustainable. It means that we don't have to have a gas boiler on site. That's the way that most swimming pools are heated. So yeah, that one's that one's really nice. But it's been a lot of work to get to a solution that actually works for us and the, the kit involved in that is still relatively specialist where we can actually house the kit on site because just to add complication the pools is on a floodplain so the whole site floods up to about a meter even a meter and a half i think being known so we have to make sure that everything that we're building is resilient to flood and can basically just be jet washed out afterwards so yeah there's, there's a lot to think about <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like it's never a dull day on site or in the office. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but like you say, that is such an elegant solution to be able to have something that's going to be heated and also that's going to be heated by the river. It's just amazing. That must have been very satisfying. Yeah, and it's. I think for me, you know, it's it's nice one because it's a it's just the right thing to do. It's a good piece of technology, but also you know we've talked about how the river was so important to the pools before. So it just re it reaffirms that connection that yes, things have changed and we can't use river water anymore, but we can still make use of the river and it's still very important to the pools. I'm so impressed by the courage that it must have taken to not only take on such a big and important project, especially one that means so much to the local community, but also to move your life from London to Bath. And I guess with a big move like that, it must have been nerve-wracking about how you were going to meet people and how alienating that must have felt. I mean, never mind before COVID as well. But it sounds like you're actually really at the heart of a community now. And I bet you've got a chance to meet some amazing people. Tell me a bit about the volunteers that work and help you um, with all the work and restoration at Cleveland Pools. Yeah, I mean, I cannot, you know, thank the volunteers enough for everything that they do. It's just incredible. Yeah, the amount of support that volunteers bring and what they make happen, it's unbelievable. And it kind of makes me think, God, am I, you know, I'm not as nice a person as some of these people, you know, just incredibly generous and skilled and just, you know, willing to bend over backwards to be helpful. It's, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, the range of volunteering that we are kind of doing or offering now has really changed so I mentioned before that we used to have volunteer groups coming and you know helping us maintain the site and that was kind of a staple 
thing that we could offer for people who wanted to get involved and support the pools. But that only really worked if you were, you know, not working in the week. It was a weekday session. So it wasn't necessarily accessible for everyone. And it's been tricky because as soon as the work started on site, you know, the dynamic shifts quite a lot. You can't have volunteers coming in and, you know, doing site work because there's a whole contractor team there who are responsible, etc. So making sure that we find opportunities for people who do like that kind of social volunteering. And I think that's one of the things that has become clear that a lot of people, they're interested in helping the pools and that is their main driver. But the benefit is the social side. And like you say, you meet so many amazing people. You know, Bath's, it's a city, but it's really not, you know, it feels like a big village. And so it just kind of volunteering for the pools. I think we've had a lot of feedback that people, one, they enjoy being involved in something that they can see will benefit the wider community. You know, of course, that's a great thing to be part of, but it's also somewhere where they met, you know, long friends. And yeah, I think it, you know, it just, it provides all sorts of benefit, you know, social benefit, giving, learning new skills. We have quite a lot of people who've come who might have been involved like in something like an event or a maintenance session in the past. And actually now, you know, they're working on interpretation boards for sharing the story of the pools and they're being trained on how to write, you know, copy for people to read on site while they're getting changed in the changing rooms. And, you know, and it's it's this kind of trying to show people that there are all sorts of things they can be involved in. And it's really nice to be able to provide a bit of training and a bit of support. And if someone is even vaguely interested in something, have something to offer them and say, yeah, yeah, you know, let's go for it. You can, you can get involved in that or we can, we can find a project for you that if you have interests, you haven't necessarily done much with before. Let's try and use that. So yeah, we're really lucky that, you know, it's a big enough project that they tend to be kind of community projects or volunteer projects that we can involve people in and to suit most people now, which is nice. It's such a great gift to give someone to be able to make them feel helpful and that they have skills that are wanted and useful for a project like this. That must be really helpful for a lot of people's confidence getting involved in this. And also great for them to have that connection to this place when it's finished and they're there having a swim, being able to say, I helped, I helped make this happen. Yeah, it's that thing of, you know, pride. We really want people, not just the volunteers, but this is also why the kind of community engagement projects that we're working on are really important is that we're trying to foster like a sense of pride and a sense of, you know, ownership, I suppose, that this is not the pools run by the Cleveland Pool Trust. You know, this is the pools for Bath and that people should feel, you know, involved. And it would be nice when people come once it's open to be able to say, yeah, I've already been involved in this. I'm part of this team, you know, and it is it, honestly, it is the volunteers are the team. You know, there are only three members of staff. Everybody else is a volunteer. I think at the moment we have about 125 people actively volunteering. Yeah, you know, it's just huge. And to have people both as volunteers or as community groups who have been involved in a project with us over the construction period to feel an engagement with the project before they arrive and then to come and use the pools afterwards, you know, that's what we want is people to want to return, feel a connection. You know, that, that's, that's what it's all about, really. I love these stories about crazy British eccentricities of how much we just love these special places and we'll do anything to protect them. And hearing stories about having 120 volunteers making this swimming pool happen is just amazing. 
And it sounds like as well as the volunteers, you've also had a lot of support from historic pools of Britain who really kind of celebrate and champion a lot of historic pools like this. And also you had some money from the Heritage Fund. Has there been a lot of support from organizations as well that's been able to drive this project forward? Yeah, there's been loads. So the Historic Pools of Britain is is a a great organization because they put you in touch with other people who are, you know, I was going to say crazy enough, uh, determined enough to, you know, to try and make similar projects happen. And as I said before, you know, it requires a lot of resilience. So to be able to talk to people who are going through similar challenges in other places is really important to kind of share share stories of what works, what doesn't, uh, you know, what do the funders like, what doesn't work for them, etc. Um, it's really, really valuable. So that's been an amazing resource for us. Um, really playing, kind of pleased to be part of that as, a, as an organisation. Um, and then, yeah, you mentioned the National Lottery Heritage Fund. They are our main funder. So they fund just over 80%, really, of the, the value of the restoration. And they've been incredible, really, really supportive. It took a little while for them to be entirely convinced. So the trust had to work really, really hard to make sure that this stacks up, you know, and that's fair enough. It's a big investment and you want to make sure that the money you're spending is is going to be put to good use. But they are entirely committed to the project now and have been unbelievably supportive recently. Yeah, it's great. Having them, having Historic England really as champions of the project is brilliant. And we you know absolutely couldn't do it without them. So yeah, it's fantastic to have that level of support. And when you're speaking to other people that are working on similar projects, I suppose it must make you journey back to those early days when you were beginning this. And if you were going to share advice with someone about to start a journey similar to the one you've been on with Cleveland Pools, what advice would you give them? Keep going and grow a thick skin <laughs> because, you know, it doesn't always work and you have to be you have to be ready for that, I think being able to kind of roll with the punches, you know, and for things not to go the way you were expecting. Yeah, it, it's it's hard, this process. It's not to be underestimated. But as I say, the part, you know, resilience is, is a special thing, really. If you've got it, I think you can achieve most things. And that's definitely something I've learned from the trustees um, of the Cleveland Bulls Trust. You know, they're so committed, you know. So Paul, who's our chair, he always says, you know, it's just a no-brainer, this project. It's so significant as a site. There's so much benefit that it can bring. Yes, it's really hard sometimes and it takes, you know, a lot of work and it's taken, you know, years out of people's lives. But to know that you've been involved in it, you know, once it's finished, yeah, it's a complete no-brainer. It has to happen. And so, yeah, I think resilience is the most important thing, you know, above everything else, really. And that idea of community resilience, I think, is so special that these people have been involved in this project for 18 years. And now it feels like it's the last hurdle that you're that close. What are the next steps? What's next to happen for the pools to, to be a reality? Well, I've got to get it built, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, so we, in terms of physical next steps, we're on site now. Construction is ongoing. If people are interested to see how we're doing, they can actually go and have a look on. We've got a time-lapse camera, so that captures our progress, which I think is really nice because the site itself, you know, we've talked about the access to the site. It's You can't see it obviously from anywhere so being able to kind of show people we can't take people on site visits and things very easily but being able to demonstrate how we're doing is is a really nice thing to be able to offer so yeah we need to we need to get this we need to get the work done really so at the moment that's the plant room and then we're working on the main pool as well so we're just starting to do the concrete shell for the main pool because the existing shell was completely shot basically leaking like a sieve so getting the construction work done 
the restoration to the crescent building itself is is the main focus and then the next thing for us is to kind of develop an operational plan really so that we know the best way to operate the site and um, we have business plan that we obviously had to develop to get funding to convince you know our main funders that this was a, was a goer but it's turning that into reality really planning how it will work you know ticketing systems season tickets things like that it's all that detail that comes next really so that we're ready for people next summer if and when they want to come and visit which i think they will I think they will. And I think as well, the increase in people wanting to swim all year round has been such a huge change for that. So even, you know, in a post lockdown world, the realities of people swimming, and I'm sure the practicalities of what that means for your business plan is kind of evolving all the time too. Yeah, it's funny because the the original business plan that was developed to support the, the funding bid, that was written three years ago, I suppose. And at that point, you know, of course, people who are really avid wild swimmers, I'm sure were swimming at the time, but it, it wasn't such a, you know, a common thing. And I think it's come a lot more into, you know, the mainstream now. And so there are more people who would like to maybe give outdoor swimming a go, but, you know, wild swimming in a cold river might be a, a stretch too far. So I have a, I have a feeling that there will be a lot more interest in a cold water offer than we might have anticipated. And that's, you know, again, something that we have to kind of, build into our operational plans going forward to make sure that we can offer as much as possible to people who you know want that variety in the main season in the summer the pool will be heated because you know bringing young families and things it's you know i think it's still what we need to do to make sure that most people can access the pools but there's definitely a lot of interest in that cold water option as well like i say people like me who are quite you know i'm a bit nervous so something in the middle i think will be really popular actually I think that the demand and appetite for cold swimming, it's been such a lifeline for people over the past year. But although that's had a hugely positive effect on the swimming community, that that's been there for people during lockdown, I guess lockdown's also slowed down this project a lot. Has that had a really big impact on your funding and also the physical process of the project? Yeah, I mean, so it delayed the start slightly, but the biggest impact for us was just the cost increase. So with a delay comes a cost increase kind of anyway. And then we had to factor in slightly different ways of working at the start of the project. So all of those things kind of combined has added quite a lot of cost onto the project. So we had to go back to the lottery and say, can you help us? Thankfully, like I say, they were incredibly supportive. And again, I think they now feel like, yeah, this is a bit of a no-brainer. This project has to happen. But it hasn't been without its challenges for sure, you know, the impact that COVID's had. And again, one of the impacts that, not from a physical perspective, but on volunteering. So, you know, typically volunteering is quite a physical, social thing for a lot of community projects like this. People physically come together and do something together. And not being able to offer that was quite a challenge. So we really had to think about ways to offer something to people who wanted to be involved that they could do remotely. That, you know, being blunt is still useful to us. Because sure, it's nice to offer, you know, something for people to get involved in. But if it's not helping the overall aim of the project and ensuring that people are engaging in the right way and that we're getting our message out to, you know, a broad kind of cross section of locals, it's not, not really worth anyone's time, really. So to make sure that we could provide something for everyone. But I think we did well in that we had a lot of work to do, like I've talked about on our copywriting for interpretation branding design with a you know, specialist volunteer working on that so there have been quite a few things where the 
kind of not being able to come together physically has actually worked okay for us, but that's definitely been a challenge. And I know that there are lots of volunteers kind of chomping at the bit to try and get back together, you know, and celebrate what we have achieved because there's been a huge amount of work going on. So we have a we have a volunteer social, our first physical volunteer social at the end of this month. So I think it's going to be great. You know, such a buzz around getting people together. Lots of people have, you know, they've never met in person still. So yeah, it will be nice to be easing the COVID impact of the project. Um, I don't know if it will, you know, when it will go away, but it's certainly, it's been a challenge for sure. I love how swimming brings people together like that. The people that I've met through my local swimming or by swimming holidays, people from all over the UK, people of different ages or different walks of life and people that you maybe wouldn't meet otherwise. And I love that swimming can bring them together in that way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've got, you know, people who've been involved for a long time or, people who used to swim in the pool, you know, young people. We've got, I know there are some local kids who want to do their, you know, lifeguard training so they can be the lifeguards at the pools. You know, yeah, all sorts. It, like you say, it's such a such a broad group of people who are interested in this kind of thing. It's really, really nice. And I think with a project like this, where there is still work to be done, it's also important to take time out and celebrate the process that has been going on for 18 years. And I think with everything in life, we're always rushing forward thinking about the next goal so i'm really excited for you to take that time to celebrate how far you've come already yeah absolutely yeah i think people deserve that you know particularly particularly recently just to pause and kind of reflect on what we've achieved so far because you know as i mentioned before just getting into contract and starting this project on the ground it's a huge achievement so yeah it's it's something for us all to celebrate i think but tell me what's next to come when it comes to funding do you still need to raise money for this project yeah, it's one of the biggest challenges, I suppose. I mean, we're really lucky that we've had such huge support from people like the National Lottery Heritage Fund. But one of the downsides for us is that when you get funding, and particularly when you start physical work on site, people think, well, that's it. You know, great, you've got your money, off you go. I mean, it's true to an extent, you know, we have enough money to proceed. But for a project like this as well, I've mentioned it already that it's not just the building work. You know, it, it takes money to do all these other things. The engagement projects have a staff team, you know, marketing plan, develop operational plans, et cetera, et cetera. So there's quite a lot of cost involved that isn't necessarily fully funded. So for us, I mean, the overall project cost now for everything that we're doing with the project, which is over a kind of five-year period, it's not just the, the year and a half of construction, that's just over $8 million. And we still have about 400k to raise to achieve that. And if we don't, you know, reach that, we will have to not do things. So it's it's not a nice to have. It's very much a, you know, things start to be cut and we can't have the impact that we wanted to locally. We can't offer everything that we wanted to. So hopefully people can see that the money that we, you know, that we do have, we are using it wisely. And the impact that, you know, we're making with the projects that we're doing and the restoration is positive. But we really need to kind of maintain that momentum for people to understand that actually there's still a huge task ahead to, you know, keep financial support going because it doesn't just, you know, drop into your bank account and then that's it. Job done, definitely not. So, yeah, very much still fundraising. And if, if people have ideas or if people want to contribute, you know, please get in touch with us because we really need all the help that you know we can get. 
And I think the trustees and the volunteers and you that have been involved so far really do prove that every individual can have an impact on a project like this. I just love hearing about how something like this has been made a reality and how amazing it's going to be for this community, purely by people getting involved and saying, I want to help. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, there are so many, there's so many different ways that people, you know, people have skills that they don't necessarily realize are useful. I think that's something that's kind of, I've noticed that you get somebody coming along and saying, oh, well, you know, I'd quite like to help out at an event. And that's great. And so, oh, by the way, you know, I'm a, I'm a lawyer and I'm, you know, I'm good at contracts. And I'm going, great, you can help us, you know, with our operational contracts. You know, they're, they're, people assume that there's a whole raft of professionals behind the project. And there are on the construction side because you really, really have to. But it's pretty light touch. You know, there's not extra money, you know, swirling around on a project like this, not at all. So, people who have those skills so they think well you know maybe that's my former life or that was my that's me professionally but that's not you know why I'm coming to the pools project they suddenly realize actually those skills are so valuable to us so yeah I mean there's definitely scope for people to get involved and bring any and all skills really but I have to say that the most important thing at the moment for us is financial help you know it's it's the hardest one as well. It's easier, of course, it is for people to give time to part with cash. It still takes, it takes a lot, you know, it's, it's another step. So it's about kind of trying to reach out to businesses, things like that, to see whether they want to support the project as well. Yeah, any anything, you know, any ideas people have, we're really grateful to hear them. I'm so inspired by what you're doing and I hope that other people feel motivated to get involved and donate and help make this pool a reality in 2022. And when you're lying in bed at night thinking about what a stressful week on the site you've had, what what is the one vision that you have of people being around the pool that really just keeps you going through it? Oh, I don't even think it's people being around the pool. I think for me, that's still too far. For me, the thing that keeps me going is is the positive stuff that's happening now. You know, it's like the film project I was talking about earlier. Having seen the output of that and knowing that one of the young people who was involved in that project is now considering a career, you know, because of the his experience of doing that. That's so satisfying. And the more we do and the further on the project gets, the more people have experiences like that. And for me, yeah, you know, people will come and they will swim and they'll have an amazing time. But you can do that in lots of places. It's the extra bit for me. It's the community engagement and the sharing the stories, you know. Not every outdoor swimming pool has the history and the kind of all that depth and all the different characters that have been involved, you know, and we know so much about it that, you know, there's so much to share. And I mentioned this quite a lot when I'm speaking to people, but the, the lottery, they have this really nice phrase that's really stuck with me from when I started, which is it's called heritage by stealth. So it's this idea that, you know, you might visit the pools because you've seen that there's a, an outdoor pool in Bath. You may not be aware of the project at all. Um, I hope not, because we're doing quite a lot to try and make sure everybody locally knows about it. But, you know, you might just come and have a have a day out swimming. But the idea that you leave knowing that this actually is a really special place and there's so much history there and that you've been, you know, you've been lucky to go and experience that as well, as well as, you know, Captain Evans from the Victorian period who used to live here and have a pet baboon and, you know, the Reverend, you know, the Reverend Godfrey, who you know used to be here, and he was a headmaster, and he bought the pools, you know, and you know, it's Alice Bailey, and she lived in the caretaker's cottage with her family and all of her children, you know, and there's all of this stuff, and there's a whole depth of history there that it's really, I don't know if exciting is the right word, but 
you know, it's fascinating and all these layers that I don't think people think about enough these days. You know, you see a nice building and it's a nice building or it's a nice place to be. But having all of that together, you know, we're so lucky. We've got the amazing architecture, you know, the site itself is stunning, the kind of the setting, the fact that you're really nestled in nature. You know, it's very green. You've got the river right there. You can arrive, you know, hopefully on the river. You can walk in, cycle in, you know. And then you get this added layer of realizing that this is really quite special. All these things have happened. And, you know, just imagine the galas that used to happen, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's the bit that I like, I suppose, is the fact that it's not just a pool, you know, there's so much more to it than that. That's what keeps me going on the on the tricky days for sure. You're right. We are so fortunate to live somewhere where we have places that have history and story and color and texture like that. And being able to bring it into the present as well and continue that story is really special. I love looking at the timeline on the website and seeing, you know, reading about eccentric man who used to live in the, by the pool with his baboon, but then also seeing the journey that you've been on with getting funding and even through lockdown, that moment in history as well. It's great that the story is able to continue. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, people will make their own stories. I think, you know, that's it. It's, it's not a museum. You know, this is not about just sharing what has happened. This is come and make your own memories, you know, and have your own stories. Like there's, there have been at least a couple of proposals at the pools. There's certainly been a wedding, you know, and they're memories that stick with people for life. And I'm sure that there will be future memories that will stick with people forever. There's certainly people who, you know, swam in the pools in the past or learned to swim, who plan on bringing their kids or their grandchildren, you know, and carrying on that, making sure that it's a, it's a living place. Because, you know, first and foremost, all the stories that you hear about the pools are that they were a place of fun, you know, and that's not to be forgotten. Yes, it's this, you know, magical place for lots of reasons. But actually, it's just fun. And to make sure that people still have that experience, but going away, you know, realizing that they were somewhere quite special. If we can achieve that, then we've, you know, we've done our job. I'll be thrilled. Thank you so much for sharing the stories of the people that have enjoyed Cleveland Pools and also for getting me excited about the people that are going to be enjoying the pools as well. I've loved hearing about how much community resilience has been involved and I can't wait for the local community to have their pool and I'll definitely be visiting as well. Good, I hope so. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. Thank you to Anna for telling me more about Cleveland Pools. You can find more about the restoration at clevelandpools.org.uk. They're still raising money to reopen this Lido and need your help to make it happen. Go online to find how you can donate your money or time. It's really vital to this wonderful heritage site. So thank you in advance for checking it out. Thanks again also to this episode's sponsor, Try Hard. Say goodbye to Chlorine and shop their skin and hair products at 15% off with the code TIDAL. See you next week.